what he can do through us corporately and together. So with that, let's get into our Bible study today. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to see how that plays out, kind of continuing the thought that we wrapped up last week. Last week, we wrapped up our series coming through the book of Numbers. And we have Israel poised at the Jordan River, about to cross over and to enter into Canaan. And Moses is at the very end of his life. And what God has Moses do right before the very end of his life is that he is to remind Israel of some very important things. And actually, that's what the entire book of Deuteronomy is. The entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses reminding Israel of things that they had already learned because now's the time they're about to finally realize these promises. They're going to enter the promised land and they need to not forget these fundamentals of the faith when they go in and to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy. Just think about the title, Deutero. It's the second time. It's the second giving of the law. It's the, it's the reminding of things that they have already been told before. And so Moses, at the end of his life, wants to remind him of some things. The Apostle Peter, at the end of his life, had the same exact perspective. I want you to notice in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things... Though you know them, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to remind you of things that you already know about. And be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. It's as though Peter, who has had the revelation that most of us don't have. He knew that his end was nearing. The Lord had shown him that his physical life was going to come to an end. And the one thing he wanted to leave the people that he loved the most with was the reminders and the remembrance of key things. Why? So that it would stir them up to action. And that's what we want to do today. I want to try and stir up your hearts by reminding you of things that we've already talked about, things that most of you already know about, so that you can be prepared for what the Lord is going to continue to do through our church and through this conference that's coming up starting next week. So, uh, I want to remind us of some of the lessons of the wilderness. And we're going to be looking at various sections throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And, and the reason for the wilderness, the reason for the lessons in the wilderness are specifically laid out, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And verses 2 and 3, follow along. It says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And you know, we go through trials and difficulties and problems in our own wilderness, and we have times that, man, are really tough. And if we can just remember that the Lord allows those times to happen so that he can humble us, so that he can prove us. So as a result of how we respond and trust him or not, he knows then what really is in our hearts. And we should come out on the other side with the conclusion that is at the end of this group of verses that we understand that the physical things of this life are not the things that really make our life consist. It's the Word of God. And when we can get to the point and place in our lives where all that really matters is what saith the Lord. Well, now we're ready to enter the promised land. That's the life that the Lord is looking for. Let me ask you a couple of questions before we get started. And just think about it for yourself. How long has it been that you've been wandering around in your wilderness ever since your salvation? Just consider yourself privately. Where are you? in your walk with the Lord today, really. Has he been able to humble you? 
Has he been able to use the difficulties and the circumstances that have caused you and he's allowed you to suffer so that you would respond in humility? Or are you still full of some level of pride? Has he proven you? And, and for what, what exactly is he proving? Well, he's proving whether or not the word of God matters more to you than even physical food. That's what he's proving. And that's what he wants to see. The question that I'd like for us to consider is, are you willing today to allow that to be the truth in your life? Are you willing to allow the word of God to truly, from today going forward, regardless of what yesterday was like, be the thing and the only thing that guides your decision-making processes? Because if you'll allow yourself to get to that point, I'm telling you, you are ready for promised land living. That's our title today, living in the promised land. You're ready to live in the promised land when you can get to that point. And if you're not at that point yet, okay. But just know it's going to be yet some time before you're ready to actually move forward into the promised land. So with that, let's just pray and then we'll get into our outline. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, again, thankful as always that you... Speak to our hearts. You give us your truth. And my prayer, Lord, is like that of Peter, that, that you would stir our hearts and that you would not allow us just to be settled and content and complacent and apathetic, but that you would remind us today of the things that are truly important, that you would give us that glimpse of real promised land living and that you would prepare our hearts to be able to respond because there's some great things on the other side. They're not always easy, but very, very worthy. And we want to enter. We really, really do. So teach us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. So the book of Deuteronomy is kind of going to be our guide. Each point in the outline has a different chapter from which we'll extract some certain places. And there's three specific things that I noticed just going through the book of Deuteronomy again. Uh, that Moses is reminding the Israelites as they're about to enter into this phase of their life. And the first one is to remember your position. Remember your position. We'll be looking some in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is how he begins. And Moses says, hey guys, and, and you know, we remember the story of Moses. He's maybe not thrilled about the fact that he made it right to the brink of crossing, but is not allowed to cross himself. And, and he's just telling them, look, realize where you're at recognize the place where you're about to enter. Recognize the, the reality that is going to be yours. You're about to live a new existence like you've never lived before. It's going to be far better than anything you've ever experienced before in your life. And that comes in a couple of different categories. You wouldn't be surprised. One is physical and one is spiritual. So first, letter A, physically, it's a land of plenty. It's a land of plenty. Israel was moving literally from a desert to the well-watered plain. Over and over again in the scripture, it's called the land that flowed with milk and honey. It's referred to in places where it was a land of pomegranates and figs. And when the spies went into the land, they brought out, if you'll remember, one cluster of grapes that was so large that two men had to carry it draped across a staff and the staff across the shoulders of two men, one cluster of grapes. This is the land that they're about to enter into. And so Moses reminds them, starting in Deuteronomy 6, and we'll jump in at verse 10. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards, olive trees which thou plantest not, and when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, I don't think it's a huge stretch for any of us to understand that the life that's being described as they're going to go into the promised land, this land of physical plenty, well, that's a lot like our life here in the United States, isn't it? I mean, we have great abundance. We have seeming unending resources. 
we have comfort like most of the world only can dream of. And the truth is, like Israel about to enter the promised land, I'd say it's probably fair to say that probably none of us did anything at all to make those things happen. We all enjoy the benefits of generations prior that did all the hard work to prepare the situation such that now we can live in our Canaan. Now we can live with all the abundance. We can live in all of these places and all of these results of circumstance that we ourselves didn't actually work to make happen. They were just provided and presented to us. This is our situation. This is our condition. We just enjoy the blessings of others. But the Lord through Moses reminds them, he says, beware. Because all the physical blessings that have been created that you enjoy, well, they could potentially create a spiritual risk. And so he goes on and Deuteronomy 8, we'll jump ahead a little bit in verse number 7. It says, it says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of, notice some more description, of brooks of water and fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, in a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. And we should do that, right? But he doesn't stop here. He goes on in verse 11. He says, but beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. How exactly could we possibly forget the Lord our God? Well, he tells you how. In not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, and you live in a strong economy of wealth and blessing and abundance, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And sadly, generally speaking, across our great land, that's what we see in America today. Generations of God's blessings have created people who far too frequently are unthankful, entitled, atheists. That's who they've become. And God told Moses to warn Israel, that's the path if you forget the Lord. No doubt about it. Like Israel and Canaan, our physical position today is one of plenty. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. But let's look at it spiritually speaking. Letter B, spiritually, it's, it's about peace. It's about peace. Now, going back to our lives today in a daily context, we, we work our jobs and we labor and do all the things that we do in order to amass some level of financial wealth and security and success. Why do we do that? Well, I'd like to propose to you that there is only one core reason why we do that. We do that to be able to secure a peaceful future. That's why we do it. Retirement, savings, investment, insurances. We want to relax and we want to enjoy some leisure with our family and our loved ones in peace. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with that. Why would we want other? Of course we want that. So men and women alike work hard their whole lives so that at the end you've got some time while you can hopefully still enjoy health and enjoy just some peace. But there's some good news for you because maybe you're here and maybe you can't quite seem to get over the top of what at least our society thinks you should have. The good news is, is that spiritually speaking, God's peace is available to us with or without the financial security. Yeah. Amen? Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Notice, not as the world giveth. 
give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be in panic over financial crisis. Jesus Christ gives you peace that the world couldn't possibly supply. And the world's method typically of gaining peace is either through unbelievable financial wealth or armed military combat. One way or another, they're going to do whatever they got to do to get rid of all the, all the problems and protect and insulate themselves. How do we actually get that? Well, it's super easy. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen, it's, there's nothing sadder than to see somebody live their entire life and come to the very end of it. And they're so distressed because they have no peace with God. And although they may be very wealthy, they just have to leave it for somebody else. And the book of Ecclesiastes says that this too is vanity. And it's a grief of spirit. You want peace with God. And so in our salvation, we get peace with God positionally, but it has to continue on into our regular lives. And that's Romans 8 and chapter 8, verse number 6, where it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, well, that's life and peace. Well, to be spiritually minded and walking with the Lord daily, well, that means that we're growing spiritually. That means we're becoming spiritually mature. That is the promised land. It's the life of spiritual maturity. It's a life of peace. And what God wants us to do with that peace, what God wants us to do with that confidence of faith, that comfort that comes from having learned how to trust God even through the trials, our wilderness is to fear him and to serve him. We'll go back to Deuteronomy 6 where we left off in verse 12. We pick up in verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and thou shalt swear by his name. But God knows who we are. God knows that ultimately we are so carnally constructed God knows that we are selfish at our core, that he has to, through Moses, tell Israel, hey, don't blow it. Don't blow it. Continuing on, verse 14. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers. He says, look, don't get caught up in covetousness which in Colossians 3 says is idolatry. Don't get caught up going after other gods. The gods of the land wherein you dwell, friends, are wealth and education and power. Those are the gods of the world in which we live. Don't go after other gods. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Don't consume your life thinking that you have to gain more and more and more stuff. Ask the rich man, when will you ever have enough? And he says, well, just when I get a little bit more. That is tempting the Lord. That's what that is. But rather, obey the word of God. Do what you know is right to do. You say, I don't know that much. Well, do what you know. And keep coming to church and be discipled and learn more stuff. And then when you learn more stuff, do that. And then when God keeps teaching you more, then do that. Do what you know to do. Leverage your advantage as a wealthy Member, a citizen of a land of plenty. Leverage the freedom we have to gather and to worship and study the Bible. Leverage the advantage that we have to do something significant globally for the cause of Christ. Remember your position. Wherever God has placed you, 
which transitions into an aspect of that. We've kind of already touched on it. Number two, remember your prosperity. And we're going to jump into chapter 8 in a minute here. Remember your prosperity. So Moses then reminds Israel that there will be even more material abundance coming once they settle down in the promised land. We read some of that already. And we read about the warnings that came because this blessing of physical abundance can become a liability. Can I say that again? The physical blessings of abundance that we enjoy can, may, become a liability if you lose your perspective. If you lose your perspective. Pick it up in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord. Now, this is kind of, notice, this is Deuteronomy 8. We read Deuteronomy 6. A lot of it's going to be exactly the same. Moses in this book is reminding and reminding and reminding. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. How? In not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, you're living the good life, right? Beware that thine heart be lifted up then, right? Thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so he's just saying, look, you got to watch out for this thing. I just told you about this. I'm going to tell you about it again. But here in Deuteronomy 8, he's going to really drill down a little bit and be a little more specific. How am I doing? Sorry, apologies. We okay? You all right, Scott? We'll see what happens. Okay. We're jumping in at verse 17. We'll go down Deuteronomy 8, 17, because he's going to get a little more specific with the application here. And thou say in thine heart, notice, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Be careful you don't do that. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And why does he give you the power to get wealth, friend? That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. You see, God didn't just bless you. You're just not the, you just didn't win the country lottery. I mean, you kind of did. We kind of won the lottery as to what country we got to be born in and live in, right? But you didn't get that just because... I mean, for God so loved the whole world, but he really loves us. No. He left us, he left everybody where he left everybody for whatever reason that maybe only he can understand, but he left us where he left us that we might establish his covenant. That's clearly the reason. So let's keep going and keep talking about this in your notes. There's a problem. See, the problem of prosperity is you think you did it. That's the problem. You get far enough away from the trials. You get far enough away from your desert wanderings. You get far enough away from the troubles and the difficulties of the desert. And you start building up houses and lands and springs and cattle and food and, and riches and blessings and comfort. And you start thinking, I'm really talented. I'm really something, aren't I? Man, I'm... I'm so smart. I've worked so hard. I've earned this. I deserve this. And you know what the problem, the common denominator that's the problem of all those statements? It's I. I. He says, no, remember God gave it to you. He gives you. You say, what are you talking about? I go to work. I made my salary. I did all. Okay. He gives you, he says, the ability to make wealth. Are you healthy? Thank God for it. Do you have talents? Thank God for them. Are you intelligent? Thank God for that. Do you have strength? Thank God for that. Are you breathing? Thank God for that. That could stop very quickly. The problem of prosperity is you start thinking you did it. And you forget the Lord. 
But there's a purpose, and that's next. The purpose of prosperity, well, that's easy. The purpose of prosperity, y'all, is the Great Commission. It's that he would establish his covenant. That's what it is. And we can go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis 1 and verse 28 when God created man before sin ever entered in. And it says, God blessed them and God said unto them, and this is the Great Commission, first ever appearing in the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And at the time at which they received this commandment, they had not yet sinned. Adam is still called the Son of God, Luke chapter 3. So any children they would have had without sin would have been sons and daughters of God also. That's what we are to do. We are to reproduce sons and daughters of God all over the world. Of course, sin came in quickly and problems occurred and God's entire plan of redemption kicks in. And I just want to remind you of Abraham. Abraham, who is the pivotal character that then sets the stage for the establishing of Israel, etc., And in Genesis 15, the Lord is going to remind Abraham of some things. And it says in verse 5 that he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Hey, Abraham, just, just glance at the sky and count up all those stars, if it's even possible. Abraham doesn't even have children. He says, that's, that's the reproductive offspring that's going to come from me. You won't even be able to count them. Now, there's a great Bible study. He does that with the sand of the sea with Abraham. He does it with the dust of the earth with Abraham. And he does it with the stars of the sky of Abraham. And if you take the time to study it in your Bible, and we're not doing it today, they're going to line up with the three groups of people that exist in the Bible, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. And ultimately, you're going to see that the Jews are going to line up with the sand of the sea, and the Gentiles are going to be like the dust of the earth. But those stars of the sky, those stars of the sky are called sons of God. The stars are the sons of God. And that's going to line up with the church. And ultimately, there is a spiritual application for the spiritual seed of Abraham to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Why did God give you abundance? That's for the Great Commission. That's the only reason. So what does promised land living look like for us, y'all? Well, it looks like us being good stewards of that prosperity. Being good stewards of that prosperity. Let me remind you, Mark chapter 8, 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Those are the funerals you weep at. Those are the times you regret. Those are the lives that are wasted. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 6, starting verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So don't get overly consumed with consumerism. Do you struggle with that? Is that a problem for you? Invest your treasure in heavenly things. Send your treasure on ahead of you where it will be waiting for you. Because in the world of retirement planning, sending it on to heaven is just good math. You're going to be there a whole lot longer than you're going to be in retirement. Listen, I'm not telling you ignore retirement. I'm telling you obey what Jesus said. Invest in things that are in heaven. And if you're saying, well, you know, I'm just not feeling it. Not just, I don't know, I'm just not feeling it. Well, we have a solution for that because he says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, then there will your treasure also be. 
You don't begin with how you feel. You begin with how you invest. If you play the stock market and you invest in certain stocks, you now read the Wall Street Journal. You're now interested in that app on your phone that tells you how your stocks are doing. Because you invested in it, now your heart is following it. How about you invest in the kingdom of God? How about your heart starts following that because you're invested? I'm invested in those guys in Cambodia. My heart's with those brothers. So in your notes, here's a good principle for you to remember. Your heart will follow your wallet. That's what will happen. So just make an adult decision. Be a mature brother or sister and make an adult decision that you will intentionally invest and be a good steward to establish his covenant. And your heart will come along. It'll, God made you that way. Your heart will come along. So you remember your position. You remember your prosperity. And the last point is remember your purpose. We're going to jump into Deuteronomy 9 eventually. Okay, so man, you've gone through the years of difficulty. You struggled through the wilderness. You've suffered. And you finally made it. I mean, finally, you have got it good now. Remember your purpose. And remember that life is fleeting. James chapter 4, 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Peter refers to it this way in 1 Peter 1.24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. If you're blessed to have a, a full natural life, 70, 80, 90 plus years, God bless you. In the light of eternity, that's like the flower of a grass that withers up and fades away. It's really nothing in comparison. It's but a vapor that just blows away so quickly. And those who are at least my age or older know that, boy, that time just slips away quickly. It really, really does. So we need to remember our purpose, and sometimes we forget that, and sometimes God puts reminders in our path to remind us of that. Can I remind those of you who have been faithful members of this church for the last year and a half that we have prayed fervently for a young man in Lambertville, Michigan named Connor Bartlett. And that young man at age 16 and now 17 has gone through a wilderness of multiple types of cancer and stared death in the face within minutes of his life ending for separate times and God pulled them back and we prayed and rejoiced and Connor recently just had the most recent scan and and testing done and and has they found they can't find a speck of cancer in his body and Connor I talked to him when I was recently up there and and I and I asked him and I you know how you doing and all that and I said so you're a senior now yeah you didn't lose a year of school no and uh, I said, well, what are you going to do next year? Are you going to college? What are you going to do? He said, yeah, I'm going to go to the University of Toledo. I said, well, I thought you had some other options. He said, no, I'm going to go to the University of Toledo. I'm going to study nursing. And I said, oh, that's awesome. Why are you going to do that? And he said, well, because I want to I leverage nursing for what I really want to do. I said, well, what do you really want to do? He said, I want to be a missionary. And he said, I'm going to stay at the University of Toledo because then I can stay home and I can go to my church and I can go to LFBI at my church and I can learn the Bible. He said, I mean, nursing will be cool and maybe God can use it, but I don't really care that much about that. What I care about is being a missionary. I'm going to tell you something. That is a young man who went through a wilderness that probably few, if any of us, will know anything about and came out on the other side understanding his purpose. And I can't help but think, what will it take for us to understand ours? What will it take? You know, we could just believe the word of God and obey it. We don't have to go through things. And I'm not trying to insinuate that it was any fault of Connor's. What a fine young man he is. But the ultimate purpose of problem, excuse me, promised land living 
is to defeat the rival and to establish a refuge. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Our rival is the devil, and he has a stronghold on the lives of lost men. And our, the refuge back then was to go in and to establish a temple. Back then it was to establish a place where God's name could be proclaimed and all the nations could come into the light of it in a foreign land. So for us today, those are local churches. That's missions. It's worldwide evangelism and discipleship and planting of local churches. So I want you to just notice one brief thing from Deuteronomy chapter 9. First couple of verses. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day and go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak? The Anakims were among the giants that the ten spies who had no faith were fearful of when they went in in Numbers 13. You enter into the promised land living, friends, and there's going to be enemies. There's going to be opposition, and sometimes that opposition, well, it's gigantic. But Israel was to expand their borders, and they were to go and they were to fight. That's what they were to do. And can I just tell you from personal experience that to enter a spiritually hostile territory behind enemy lines, a land where the devil has enjoyed unopposed control of all the people for decades, when you show up to preach Jesus Christ and biblical salvation, the devil is not just going to roll over and go away without a fight. He's not going to do it. But the mission is that important, and somebody has to do it. So First Baptist Church joyfully and intentionally has supported missionaries in some of the more difficult locations for the gospel. Throughout North Africa, in Israel, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Pakistan, China, Cambodia. And to give you an idea of what some people face in missions, we do have a short video clip I want you to watch. It's going to be about five or six minutes, and then we'll wrap up this message. Let's see if we can get that video going.
So the idea, obviously, is that this is a true story of a missionary, and he's telling part of his story. And look, Somalia is a very, very difficult place to get the gospel into, but he recognized that somebody had to do it. And so by faith, he took a journey in with the Red Cross. And man, did you hear what he said at the beginning? I've never seen a place like this. It's like landing in the Old Testament and, and, and these terrible things that are happening. And, and his initial reaction is the initial reaction that a lot of us would have. Man, Lord, you can keep this. This is like living in hell. This is, this is awful. When you, when you wrote Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, certainly you weren't realizing that it was going to be this bad. But he realized he had freedom, and he had the freedom to choose. And he had, God gave him the freedom to be able to say no thanks. But God convicted his heart, and he said, you know what? Somebody's got to stay. I'm going to stay. And then ultimately, he's, the end of his two-week trip or whatever, he goes back to Kenya where his family lived, and he saw the health of his family and, and how you know, well they lived there. And, and man, he came to the conclusion I didn't know what to do with that contrast. I, didn't, I still don't know what to do with that contrast. He said, how can I live this way? Referring to his life in Kenya in comfort and ease and luxury after having seen what I've seen. Well, if you'll come back tonight, we're going to continue this video in, in, in another five minutes worth and it'll connect to what we're going to talk about. But can I tell you that I understand not all mission fields are created equal. Some are more difficult than others, and this is an extreme kind of a case. But there are places like this, and somebody has to go there. Somebody has to go there. They need the gospel. Places like this are included in the Great Commission too, amen? Jesus loves them every single bit as much as he loves you. He gave his life for them just like he gave it for you. But somebody has to tell them. They have to know, and that's why we have a missions conference. Somebody once said that a missions conference is nothing more than a church-held business meeting to determine our involvement in the fate of the heathen. Well, that's what we're going to have next week, and that's what I want you to be prepared for. That's what I want you to be praying for, because God's looking for people who will love him enough to willingly lay aside some of the comforts, and actually leave the comforts of home and go and fight the fight of the spiritual enemy on the front lines. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 19, 29, and everyone, I, I think we're a part of everyone, I think. Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first, let me, let me just clarify while I'm reading this verse. Many that are first physically shall be last spiritually. And the last physically shall be first spirit, spiritually. Sometimes our prosperity gets in the way. Unless we learn how to be good stewards, unless we learn how to leverage it for the advantage. There's places in the Bible we don't love. 2 Timothy 3.12, I'm not particularly fond of. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But he does tell us a chapter earlier in chapter 2 and verse 12, that if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Which means the corollary is also true if we don't. Well, it doesn't say you're not saved. It just says you won't reign with him. Do we really suffer? Do we suffer for our godliness? Do we suffer for our efforts to advance the gospel? Well, just keep it in perspective. I can't ever talk about suffering without keeping the perspective of Romans 8.18. For I reckon, calculate, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. However much suffering you think that you can possibly go through, and nobody wants that, I get it. It isn't even worthy to enter the conversation of comparison to the level of blessing and glory that God has planned for you. 
I guess the question is, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it to you? Is eternal life really more important than temporal life? That is a hard question. I don't pose it lightly. So I want to close with this final reminder that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? That's a rhetorical question. Of course you are. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Another rhetorical question. Of course he will. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the unsaved Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek something. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Seek ye first, rather than all of these physical things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these other things, well, they'll be added unto you. They'll be added unto you. Therefore, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now to literally and completely apply these verses, I know it's almost impossible. You've got to think about having something to eat. You've got to think about not walking out of the house without clothes on. Thank you. <laughs> the idea is what do you seek after? Because the very word that's translated, take no thought, is the negative side of the exact same word that is translated, seek He's not saying don't ever have a thought pop into your head about food. What he's saying is don't seek after all of the things that set you up the way the Gentiles seek after all of those things. Rather, seek after the righteousness of Christ's kingdom and spreading that worldwide. And I'll take care of you. I'll take care of the stuff. I'll take care of the stuff. Just seek me. Now, either Jesus meant what he said or he didn't. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Let's pray together.